Welcome to Ah Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, Kate Thompson. And we are on the final episode to cover yeah. the final chapter of Sir Edward Grey, Witchfinder in the Service of Angels, Chapter 5. Woo! <laughs> yeah. It's um, a couple of theremins. Very yeah. excited for a it. A couple of, yeah, two theremins hosting a <laughs> podcast. Very excited for this this issue, the finale of this storyline. We do have a segment for you later on, but we're going to get right into the issues. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Kate, to sure. walk us through this final chapter. Yeah, In the Service of Angels, uh, it was written by Mike Mignola, illustrated by Ben Stenbeck, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley. Uh, originally published in November 2009. And yeah, it's... Uh, oh, should we talk about this cover first? Yeah, I really like this final cover. It's really cool, yeah. It's 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 interesting that he went also back to his like figures in the center of the, the frame. He only deviated from that pattern on the previous, the chapter four. Everything is pretty centered, like his focal Mignola's choice of where to draw our eye. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool. We got Memnon Saw, or at this point, Martin Gilfred. Still Gilfred, yeah. We got the bones of the vampire right behind him. They seem to be animated, you know? Yeah, they have a little bit of like red, possibly gelatin. Can't tell if they're around the bone or it's just like highlighting it a little bit like a figure. But they got some damn power, red power coming from them for sure. And we've got like eel-like creatures, kind of like serpentine. Yeah. Kind of creepy guys floating around. Um, and then just like a nice big kind of Mignola slash of color in the background. It's great. I like the colors on the, I'm looking at the published one on the wiki. And then in the collected one, of course, they have like a, like a monochrome sort of one that's like sort of like a dusty gold color. Oh. Which it also looks cool, but it's like, yeah, very different from yeah. the like almost like watercolory sort of background that we have here. And cool. yeah, luckily in the omnibus version that I'm reading from, they do they at least reprint them without the titles, but in color. Oh, cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. It still looks cool. It's like, yeah, it's like a totally different thing. It's it's like interesting to see both versions. Mm hmm. You know, just how much the color changes it. It's wild. Yeah, totally. And we're kind of exactly where we left off in issue four at the asylum, this like bedlam where Guilford's being kept. Yeah. After murdering his master that or, you know, his like former <laughs> mentor, mentor <yeah. laughs> that we saw in the previous issue. And he's like right at it. He's doing he's like, you know, summoning the powers of uh, eh, a bunch of bad things. basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, calling upon thee that didst create the earth, all flesh and spirits who established the sea and dry land. You know, he's like getting real serious. He's writing things with presumably blood. You'd, th um, you'd, you'd assume so. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the people being held there, the rest of the like, uh, what do you call them? Inmates of an asylum? Um, patients? Not patients, yeah. really. Like, yeah, prisoners think, of this asylum. Yeah, prisoners or inmates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're all like eerily quiet, just like listening or like feeling that something crazy is happening. Gilfred lights a candle that sits on top of 
the skull that sits on top of the pile of the rest of this vampire's <laughs> bones. Oh, wait, we got a little paint here, don't we? There's a little can of paint. It's not blood. Yeah, I guess it's just paint. You're right. Yeah, look at us. Unless it's a, you know, a, a can of blood. <laughs> could be a can of blood. I bet, I mean, I'm, I bet you could find that in old London town, you know? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna put it past that. That is a a can of. <laughs> I think that they want to at least um con- conjure that thought when you first yeah. see it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, he's like summoning the powers that be to kind of uh, give him the power to put the spirit of this vampire that Gray has been fighting throughout this run back into the bones. To, yeah. with the hopes of making it mortal again so that they can kill it. Gray is very, uh, he's, I'm damned uncomfortable with this, he says. And <laughs> yeah, the captain's like, hey, we just got to get the results. And it sucks that we got to do it through this creep, but that's what we're doing. We see the like guards at the asylum commenting, it ain't natural them being so quiet, like commenting on how eerily quiet everybody else is. Yeah, because they're probably like, I mean, with lack of a better term, they're all probably usually screaming and being loony. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, you know, I was, I kept thinking that reading this in the previous issue where it's like, man, I'm glad I wasn't mentally ill in the, you know, in the like, in like 1800s. Right. You know what I mean? Or, or like anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's still, there's, it's still uh, bad for them. Yeah. It's not great today, but. This seems Better. bad. This seems bad. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think of um, Eastern State Penitentiary in uh-huh. Philadelphia. It's like a it's like an old Quaker jail that like now they do like haunted house like they do like ghost tours of it and shit now and like it's oh. not in use anymore. But it's very spooky if you like Google it. It's very creepy looking because it's just like paint peeling Ooh. off the walls and stuff. Cool. But I think I, I mean they they had this big thing of like solitary confinement there it's like really creepy it's a cool place to like look up but it'll it'll make you appreciate that you're not um a prisoner (laughs) at that time i mean prisons are horrible now i don't know prison seems fucking bad basically yeah we don't need it yeah yeah we really don't yeah abolish jail anyway okay reform (laughs) reform change the system yeah yeah so they're the guards are commenting on how they're just like eerily quiet Gray's worried that like something horrible might happen as a result of this, even if like they get what they want. We see the cityscape that we saw in the, the like ending the previous issue where the vampire was like perched on a rooftop. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we just hear him like or we don't see him anymore, but we hear the like the paper boy extra extra read all about <laughs> getting like murdered by the vampire. Yeah, he did. Now not, that vampire did not want him getting him that news out. No. He was like, clam up, boy. <laughs> he jumped on him and squished him. Guilford is now like writing in the air and with like a glowing green sort of a energy coming off of his hand. Yeah. I liked that. I like the the like it still has like a sort of like wet paint quality to it, but it's like floating in the air. It's really neat. Yeah. And I like that it like sort of dissipates into like smoke or, or yeah. steam. It's cool. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's really, I think that's just those two panels. It's like a really effective way to show that effect. Yeah. It works great. Cops see the vampire and they're like, hey, wait. And then they are quickly fucking dispatched with the vampires just like ripping them apart. Well, rips the first one apart. But then I guess he like hears the call of this, like he's like compelled to stop by whatever 
uh, spell Gilfred is casting here, calling the abomination, and he like turns away from the second cop, who I guess is lucky to have survived that. I don't know. I think so. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky to survive, but you've also like seen a vampire. Like, wouldn't you just be like forever changed and like uh Yeah, horrifying? you're you're gonna question everything. Yeah. At that point. You're gonna be like, if uh, that thing exists, <laughs> what else exists? Right. Yeah. So Gilfred's calling the abomination, the vampire to him. Bring it to me, he says. And then these other inmates at the asylum start bashing their heads against the bars and bleeding profusely. And then kind of the captain and Gilfred are sort of like exchange words like, hey, do you want like the captain is like, do you want your this like club slash sword that that was retrieved from the Hyperborean city and stuff Mm -hmm. like that? He's like, no, you keep it. The gun suits me better. And of course, he has like silver bullets in there. But he's like, but keep in mind, these bullets didn't do anything to the creature on the rooftop. But of course, we know that's when the creature was like not, it's like disembodied. It's like energy floating about. So hopefully, silver bullets do the trick when it's a material, physical being. Yeah. Right? We hope. Even though I love that Gray's just pretty much like, you know, those silver bullets are like, didn't do shit, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the cap is just like, ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then we see emerging from the darkness the vampire who is now huge. Yeah. Just like this hulking thing kind of lumbering out of the dark. And we see back in the hallway, the inmates have like knocked themselves unconscious, basically. They're like slumped over. Their smoking blood is trick is like seeping into the hallway, like a really eerie kind of sight. Guilford continues his, you know, he's like hand gestures and whatever incantation he's doing. The bones fly towards the spirit of the vampire who like cowers and like chest is like obviously like uh in pain, like pained by being close to them. We see some eels emerging from the blood <laughs> wild stuff being yeah <laughs> they're like given form from this blood and like emerging the vampire i love this effect this like kind of transparent effect that is done with the the like smaller kind of ape like body of yeah. the the material form of the vampire yes we have like this huge hulking version also like glowing but then we see the bones inside the form of the physical vampire yeah. as they're kind of like exchanging energies or something and Gilfred saying give this thing back to its bones <laughs> which i thought was cool that's great and it's like illuminated it's like super bright background and then the next panel of course is all, all of these blood eels with like little T-Rex like arms attacking the guards who are trying to beat them back with clubs, but it doesn't <laughs> seem to be doing much. Guilford's like m- making blood flow back into the veins of the vampire. Grant me the power to set things right and thereafter dispose of it how you will. So he's like calling these powers of, uh, you know, like life and death and saying like, oh, this creature mocks the living and the dead by basically like escaping death so it's like set that right we get like a really cool image of the bones and like its guts and stuff kind of like returning to the physical form of the vampire mm-hmm. it has like totally chimpanzee like feet it's like between a chimp and a human I-, I i like the like choices that they made for this like proto-human kind of vampire thing i think it looks really cool yeah it is very cool the design of all of this yeah 
It has like it has like you know like a human like hand and thumbs, except for it has like three fingers and a thumb instead of four, of course. And yeah, so that's like glowing super bright. Edward Gray's just like Lord. <laughs> <laughs> As Guilford says, dispose of it how you will. Like it, go- like everything goes back to dark, and the creature like tries to kind of sneak up on Gray. But he's too quick and he turns and he loads its chest full of bullets. And that seems to do the job. Immediately it looks emaciated and, you know, very dead. It looks like it's been like once the bullets hit it, it's like mummified. Yeah. Sinew and bone. And that's it. Time immediately catches up with it. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. And the bullets are. The the silver bullets did the deed. Uh, They got like (laughs) shot in the heart. It cuts back to. The hallway where these guards are a-okay. What the hell was that? <laughs> they say. <laughs> I guess, I mean, the eels, I guess, is just like some manifestation of the power. We've seen with Gilfred's um, mentor that he had those little like gecko-like kind of creatures or like like a newt-like creature yeah. that were like circling him when he was reading that tome. So that's kind of what that made me think of. Which I guess we'll kind of see coming up shortly what that connection kind of is. Yes. But yeah, we see, you know, the body of this creature. It's finally dead. They finally killed it. In the aftermath of this, Edward Gray is like, hey, uh, Captain, where is he? He's fine. He just got knocked on the head. And <laughs> But Guilford's, Guilford's gone. So Gray goes running, searching for him. We see Guilford in uh, like a hallway somewhere else in the facility and he hears his own name being called. He's got the Hyperborean sword and he hears his name being called. He says, who's that? He hears, you know me. Whoever you are, beware. I will blast you with a word and send you to hell. And I love this, like, his eyes are kind of, like, protruding in this, like, depiction of, of him. I think it's, like, a cool, like, he looks like, he also looks emaciated. His like cheeks yeah. are sunken in and his eyes just look enormous, like in like a smeagly kind of a way where he's like like a depleted person. Like he's just he's like desperate and feral looking, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's met. I mean, it's a great way to make, you know, he's been he's tucked away into this asylum. Yeah. And even though he's people think he's gone mad, but we know he's just. He is mad, but not for the same reasons that these other inmates are. (laughs) It's like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. (laughs) But he hears the calling of his mentor. He appear like he appears before him with the little um, newt-like creatures kind of dancing around him in a circle. I was your master in life and remain so even beyond the grave. You thought it was you who worked that magic tonight? It was me. You are nothing, Martin. So he's like plagued (laughs) by this. memory of whether it's whether this person whether the mentor is appearing to him for real or whether it's something in his head yeah i think we can kind of i feel like it's it's kind of open to interpretation like maybe he sees visions of his master who's like forever telling him he's not going to be good enough for or powerful enough or whatever yeah especially since we never up to this point what we've learned uh, and then saw we never saw this mentor come back and plague him or anything like that. It feels very much right now up to that interpretation. Also, like it feels almost like a telltale 
heart sort of situation where it's yeah like, yeah his own mind his own like, mind and his own like yeah i killed my master and now until he gets his shit straight it's gonna haunt him you know yeah <laughs> yeah or like you know forgets about his master i don't know <laughs> But the cackling is like resonating in his head and he uh, like the next few panels are Edward Gray finding him collapsed on the ground with the sword just like a, a foot away from him. And he seems to be passed out as Gray reaches for the sword. That huge revolver that we saw before in the previous issue gets jammed into his head and it's the masked <laughs> heliotropic or a oh, fucking Jesus heliopic brotherhood of Raw. You got it for me. What's heliotropic? That's like a plant, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're probably right. There's a lot of words jangling around in my head. That's why I kept my mouth shut. Some of them come out right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the... Uh, the masked guy from the Brotherhood points a big-ass gun at his head. What? No smart remarks now? I have a mind to end you, sir. Like, I like this guy's pompousness. Like, yeah. it's really fun. And he feels like he's he's pompous because he's probably at, like, a low level. Like, has to right. do this shit for... He's such a good, like, he's such a good, like, mini-boss. Almost, yeah. like, like a little minion or something. And then the guy who, like, offered to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, the guy you're talking about, what you were just about to say... I yeah. have a dumb, I think that this, this close up of our character who comes up behind and says, Gray, remember that I let you live. That guy, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Prim- he looks exactly like the actor David Strathern from like Nomadland and Good Night and Good Luck, <laughs> The Bourne Ultimatum. Oh, yeah. I was like, it truly, as I was reading, he might have been the model <laughs> yeah. for. I kept like it's so funny because it's like as I was reading it, I come to that panel and all I could think of is David Strather. I was like, that looks almost almost identical to him. As, like, I bet people. I wonder if like this comic artist uses references like that. Like I bet it's helpful to have to like just look at cause, like for an actor, they'll have so many you know just uh, images of themselves on Google Images. You can like use it. You can like have. So many different angles on the head of like one person. Right. It might be helpful to like base a character off like loosely off of an actual actor who you can like find a million poses for and stuff like that. Makes total sense. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. You know, now I'm just like talking out of my ass. I don't know if the artist does this. I mean, it, but yeah, I bet there's artists that do. But yeah, it's cool. Yep. That's all. That was my. He does look like him. <laughs> yeah. That's all I could think of. So it distracted that's who will play him in the it. movie. Yeah, there you go. He's a <laughs> um, great actor. So. Oh, Mr. Brooks is the name of this masked man. Yes. He's named by this character who, I, you know, he's masked, but this character identifies him in front of Gray <laughs> in a way that's like, we don't give shit if you yeah. know who we are now. Like, that doesn't matter. Um, So it's it's this is the the guy in the like fur flocked kind of like lined coat who appeared to him earlier and was like I'll pay you for those bones Yes. and now he's fully just like hey I'm letting you live and remember that they crack him on the head pistol whip him and he uh, Edward Gray passes out and he wakes up in the like this parlor library kind of uh, area this really like nice area and it's a uh, who the fuck do we have here like the chief of police or something or like some other government official that's what it feels like or it feels like it's like the from the language of the what they're talking about it sounds like it's it's either the chief of like the police or 
Oh, yeah, because he's saying if my boys had found anything, like when he talks about, hey, did you guys find a blade? Yeah. Like the Hyperborean sword. And he said, if my boys had found anything like that. So, like, yeah, some head of an investigation. Yeah, he's probably one of the guys he worked with in the morgue and stuff. For sure. Oh, maybe that is him. Uh, yeah, but he, so anyway, he's like, Gil, uh, Edward Gray wakes back up in, you know, some kind of HQ situation. And he's like, okay, well, Guilford's locked back up. He's not going to do any more mischief, which is like a fun line for us since we know mm-hmm. he's going to cause so much mischief. Yes. <laughs> the sword is gone, though. And the creature was taken by the like remains of the creature were taken by the captain who's back at his like office or whatever you want to call that mm-hmm. <laughs> warehouse of stuff. So we see the next panel of Gray walking back down to the east end to, to talk to the captain. I like the little detail of half price cookies on this tray that a one-armed man is selling on the street. <laughs> and like these like fun little like shops in the background with like all pipes and cracked walls and a lot of like fun details in that panel. Some shady characters with like messed up, patched up, coats and top hats and stuff. It's fun. As Gray descends the stairs towards the captain's quarters, he is told by a woman to go back. It's it's terrible. There's all this smoke and there was like a fire. But of course, Gray continues to go down. He finds Mr. Bacon holding the body of the captain, which was sad. I liked the captain. I was like, the captain's yeah. cool. Man, they really um, built up this character, and I'm not saying it's a fault, but like they made it a character that we enjoyed. Then they they just, made you care about him in like you know four four issues or whatever he had. He because he's not even in issue one, I don't think, or maybe it's at the very end. I forget. But yeah, Bacon's like, look what they done to him, and he's got like bolt. He's been shot. Bacon says he was out on business and he came back, and the building was on fire, and the captain was already dead at his desk. Like he had been shot, and they left him to burn. He's got something in his hand. They pry open his hand. It's a little <laughs> cow figure that says Lilliput on it, which I Googled, and there's like these Lilliput world. Like, I saw these like little, well, when I Googled it, there's like little, um, like lead figures that are like very popular or were very popular, I guess, at some point, um, like little collectible guys. So, which is funny to make it seem like he's sort of nutty himself. He wasn't really. Right. Well, yeah, he's like a liar. <laughs> yeah, he's like, straight up a liar. You know, obviously, because he's like, he told Edward Gray he was 200 years old and that he was this, <laughs> you know, I, he's like, Gulliver's Travels is based on me. <laughs> and he, and, and that was fun in like the first, in the issue where he appears yeah. first. He's like, yeah, there's a little cow in my office that would prove it, you know, if only Bacon kept a better house or whatever. And so now we see it as a little like lead figure. Yeah. So it's like, he's obviously exaggerating a charming liar straight up lying yeah he's like a charming liar but in yeah in in a very charming way where you're like oh that's i like him and it, that i thought that was like a sweet thing to bring back i do too. that really like a nice callback he'd want you to have that and there was something <laughs> else a paper on his desk and it's like a chart of paper written in the captain's own blood and it's obviously the eye of Ra. it's so he's like hey the brotherhood of rob shot me and burned my shit. Don't mistake who did this. Yeah, like, I'll let Gray figure this out. He knows what this means. Because they wanted those remains. They wanted those bones, and yeah. Yeah. They killed him for it. Gray's looking pretty pissed. He goes to Mary's house, and we see, like, these lilies falling, and he goes into her room, and she's lying there, 
and she's dead. She's hung herself. Her Ooh. brother comes out and says, I bought her here, or I brought her here from the pub, and she spent the rest of her, the day praying for you, I assume. I went out to fetch her supper, and when I came back, found she'd hang, uh, she'd hanged herself. We see the rope is still attached to the chandelier, Ooh. and and Gray immediately is like, "You motherfucker!" He's like, "How much <laughs> yeah. did they pay you?" Assuming that the Brotherhood of Ra like paid him off or something like that, and he like gets super pissed. He points the gun at her brother. And it's like, yeah, fucking admit admit that you like basically killed her or allowed her to die because they gave you money. And then Mary's ghost appears Ooh. and is like, don't, you know, tells him not to, you know, get violent, I guess. Yeah. And says, almost like, don't go that path. Like, don't, right, don't right. kill like, him. This is self-destructive, yeah. basically. Yeah. She's like, don't, don't do it. He's like, you know, Gray's like, tell me who did this. Uh, what does it matter now? Leave him to the judgment of higher powers. And he's like, okay, I know the Brotherhood of Ra did this. And they're, she is like, leave them be, Edward, for your own sake. You hound them over this and it will be your own ruin. Please leave London. And he's distraught. Like he's sad he was like, had a connection with her. And then she dies mm. like almost immediately. She tells him to go home and then and to leave London. And then it has like a little panel of him looking like pretty determined. And the, it's like a narrator, basically. Sir Edward Gray never returned home. It, like, after she's like, the previous panel, she's like, go home. Yeah. Sir Edward Gray never returned home and for the next 10 years never left London, except on official government business. After quitting Her Majesty's service over her decision to suppress the true identity of Jack the Ripper, he remained in London, establishing himself as a private occult detective operating out of an office in Whitechapel, not far from the residence of Donald Blackwood. He never stopped investigating the increasingly bizarre activities of the Heliopic Brotherhood. And then it, like, cuts to this, like, you know, fucking plush mansion, this giant manor. <laughs> uh, and it's full of just Heliopic brothers with their little doodads and, like, kind of, you know, steampunky gadgets. There's the remains of this vampire in a tube. <laughs> and they're all, like, wearing these funny goggles. Like, what is Yeah, they're, into they're the like, clearly them, trying to, like, communicate with it. But they're doing, like, um, like, they're, like, doing, like, a, a like, meditation, like, a yeah. sort of meditative chant while some electrodes or something is, like, buzzing. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're trying to, like, revive this thing or conjure something from it. They're, like, collecting these, like, artifacts. They're, you know, sitting there in smoking jackets, hanging out with the, the Hyperborean sword in the background among a ton of other artifacts, like, mostly Egyptian artifacts, it looks like. I have to say, I'm impressed with that frame about that sword because... Dave Stewart, like, it's such all one tone of, like, this, yeah, and he's able to subtly make that sword pop out above it all. It's like a little tinge of gold yeah. next to the, like, other kind of subdued browns and tans. Like, there's still, yeah, it's like, but it's not all, like, monotone. It, there's, like, still, like, highlights and shadows and stuff, but it's, mm -hmm. like, really subtle, and it works really well. And it's just basically saying, like, some people burned down their temple that was in london but they still operated in secret and um yeah they're and it's it seems like they were responsible for the 1906 san francisco earthquake and the uh tahuska tahasa forest explosion in siberia in 1908 the end so it's like yeah they continued to operate in secret and did creepy shit and <laughs> yeah still were kind of like rich menaces in the world as we know they they definitely play a part yeah this was awesome i really liked it i didn't know what to expect with witchfinder 
I didn't either. But I, agree. I really loved it. I thought it was so cool. I'm with you there. Because um, I was just like, well, I don't, I, I've never really read a lot of like Sherlock Holmes or, you know, I, I just like this period, I, I'm not like, you know, hanging up posters of <laughs> shit for, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I, I, uh, Sweeney Todd, like, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, like, super well-versed in this period. So I'm not I either. I was like, maybe I'll be interested, maybe not. But it was great. I really loved it. Yeah, I think it's a solid uh, story. I think it's yeah. great. I th- um, it's cool. And it's a great first introduction, like, or not introduction, but, like, his first own solo full storyline. I think it's a great one. Yeah. And I think I, I think we've already spoken to, but, like, Mignolo's ability to weave everything else in with not losing that totally. it's Ed, that it's Edward's story is really well done. Yeah, yeah. My only before we get to, I'll get my one complaint, my one complaint. Uh oh. Out of the way before I'd praise it. <laughs> the last two pages I think are cool. Some of the visuals are cool from Stembeck. Like I love the catching up on the 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 brotherhood and those visuals and like where it leaves us like ooh they're up they're still up to in the world and to no good yeah but it feels i feel i have to hate to say it but like the last two pages feel so like mignola like rushing like uh like i do feel like epilogue and it's like less of a cinematic ending i guess but i guess you could consider the ending basically like the top panel of the penultimate page or whatever this like top panel where go home edward while you still can yeah i think that's the end of it yeah so that kind of feels like the end and then this this is sort of like an epilogue to me yeah the epilogue makes it feel like there's not like to me there was this is just me reading into it and i know there's more witchfinder to come after this yeah but it reads like there's not going to be any more witchfinder comics yeah, it tells you what he does for the rest of his You're life. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, you know, they were like, maybe they were like, who knows how good this will sell or. True. If it will be profitable to do more or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, that's my only complaint is it just feels like a little epilogue because I like where it ends with this ominous, like, go away. And it feels like that's the end of, that's where I would want the issue to be, like, officially over, like, that no more. Yeah. The other stuff just seems a little tacked on to me. I totally get what you're saying, but I don't, I personally don't hate it just because I can, it's like, it's like tells you what happens, but it's kind of vague enough that it's like, okay, well kind of anything could happen with Edward Gray. He leaves unofficial business. Like that could mean anything. Like you can continue to have stories with him. Yes. And the brotherhood. uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's like, I like seeing that the, it's like, oh, they've, you know, people burned them down because they weren't, they were like kind of wise to them and they were getting a little like too big for their britches kind of thing. And now they still exist in this diminished form. Like, I think that's like interesting to, interesting enough to hear about. And I I just don't know where else you'd say it. I think it's very interesting. It's just totally, it's like, I get what you're saying. It's not a bookend because the, the, the book didn't start with sort of like a, this sort of language, like, or not language, but like full paragraphs to tell us where we are. Sure, sure, sure. So it yeah. feels like I think more visually, I've we've seen Mignola like just set up, like to me, I would have loved if like on top of this ominous scene with Mary, you visually are just seeing what they're doing. And it's just left for me as the reader to be like, whoa, there's more. 
versus mm-hmm. this like sort of a combination of show and tell, but it's really he- heavy on the tell is all. <laughs> I mean, I guess it technically starts with the Heliopic Brotherhood because isn't one of these guys that's on the expedition their founder? Am I did I am I remembering that wrong? One of these ding dongs who found the bones, like founded. Well, that I'm not. I'm not. No, well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, sorry. No, no, no. I, sorry. I, I think it all weaves back to them. Yes. Cause they like, gotcha. I'm saying like the first issue doesn't start with like a paragraph oh, like a pa- the of narration, like, narration of like of who, which finder is and For where sure. it just drops us into London, 1879. Right. So that's why I think for me, Totally, it's different from like a cold open. It feels like a very modern opening and then sort of a pulpy ending to me. Yeah, and it just feels rushed for me. But it's again, Mm. I I, I like seeing the visuals. The visuals are the part that are the best for me. I would have, I I think I'm just saying I could have done with just the visuals of like mysterious like Helio versus all of the text of. He didn't leave. It seems like I just wanted to end it on a quiet, like, go, go. And I love the idea. It comes out so harsh of like, he didn't leave <laughs> versus like, just show me he didn't. I'll get it, you know? And then I'll be, it makes me more, I don't know. Sometimes it's more is less. Less is more or whatever. But sure. Yeah. It's, no, no, no. I think, I think you have a valid point for but, sure. That being said, that's the only thing I can even complain about because I think the whole story is super solid and fun. And I, I really loved um, scrolling through this last issue. I really particularly love, I love all the, that glowing stuff. Yeah. When they like the green, when he gets his bones back, the vampire, I love that panel of all that white, the two versions of them sort of merging. And like, like you said, it reminded me of a character. I wrote it down. So I'd remind myself. There's a great character from New X-Men that I think Grant Morrison might have created, but he's still around named Glob. Glob? Yeah, you should look up Glob. He's pretty much just like bones in that are surrounded by a giant like sort of ecto, not even ecto, oh, like yeah. jelly-like formation. Yeah. And he's an X-Men and he's fucking awesome. And that's what it reminded me of. And I love. He I'm looks big, cool. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Glob. I like these eyeballs. <laughs> Glob's great, and but I just loved the coloring that Stuart was doing in there with uh, Stenbeck's drawings of those two forms and that. Did you look at the sketchbook in the back? I've I've browsed it. Any highlights? There, there's a funny thing in here that I guess like Ben Stenbeck has notes on it, and he's got like early sketches of Edward Gray, mm-hmm. and it's he does this thing that I think a lot of illustrators or artists do. Where his note on the on these initial drawings of Edward Gray are terrible early drawings, early Edward drawings, <laughs> just like beating himself up, like they're not that bad. No, they, they're, they're not, not bad at all. Yeah, like they're good. And he he's just like very critical of his own art Im- immediately. But I think it's really neat, and I like this. Like, there's like a really rodenty kind of version of the vampire that is back here too. That looks really neat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really really good. I like it. And we got the captain, just like nice little drawings of ever. You know, the scuba suit, the dive suit. Yeah, I guess it's not a scuba suit because scuba suits are self-contained, right? Like they don't need a tube. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they're just self-contained. I know, right? never really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, scuba suits let you go deeper without being confined to your boat, 
right? You're not like, yeah, I guess you're not like tethered by something. But it's cool. It has like a Robbie the Robot kind of look, uh, which is fun. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. I like this Stenbeck's two sketch of like the two versions of Edward Gray, one that we've known and we, we yet to know how he makes his way to becoming that form. But him sitting at the table and mm-hmm. his more Hellboy form standing behind him, which is some, somewhat similar to that Mary, the, the figure that Mary sees standing behind him with the writing on the head. Yeah. You're like, ooh, how's he gonna, what's going to happen to old Edward Gray? I'm excited to see what his future will be because I don't know. I have yeah. no clue. Um, he seems like a cool guy versus this. Hell I mean, yeah. this shit started pretty dire and then that got just it ends on such a bummer of so many people gone yeah so many people in the story just totally killed yeah it's just i guess it just at you know it's like not to a degree of like woman in the fridge because i think that these other characters are more developed and you cared about them dying but they do give a little more depth i guess to Witchfinder as he continues on like a shadow of a man who's like friends and romantic interests get killed. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But I totally understand that woman of the yeah. fridge stuff. I mean, Mary barely makes it out. It is. But she's like a very, she's like a pretty well-developed character and a cool character too. Like, yeah. I think and she yeah. comes back as that ghost and she has like a say, like what she wants. She could potentially come back as a ghost indefinitely. You True. Know? Yeah. Maybe they'll get married and be he'll be married he'll marry a ghost. Yeah, have ghost babies. <laughs> I loved the uh, kind of X-ray uh, drawings of the vampire. I thought that was sick. Yeah, yes, that's the stuff I love. Yeah, uh, that's definitely my favorite stuff from this issue. Yeah, and I love just like a full body drawing of it too. Like you basically get the entire figure of its like corporeal form and then its spirit form. Together, I think that looks really neat. Yeah. Oh, these eels are really cool too, though. I like their little, their little claws. Yeah. They're like eel dragons because they have those, yeah, those hands. Yeah. Little arms. Love it. I love the I love the panel where they're fighting the bobbies are fighting the guards are fighting them off. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Bashing them with clubs. Like good luck. Yeah. I guess they're just there to distract them or something. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems that maybe it's just. You know, maybe these dark magic like that, like, always has some sort of repercussion with it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Bacon is cool. I really like Bacon. Is, I mean, I hope Bacon comes back at some point because I want to see if he, you know, makes out okay after losing so many people. Around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had a rough, he had a rough couple of weeks here. He really did. <laughs> uh, Amon saw I mean that was a surprise we already were talked about the surprise but it's interesting to see because I was like really much I was like oh is this how he got away and then nope that's mm-hmm. very interesting it's just they just cross paths for a moment maybe they, it makes me think they have like an idea of how they want him to well doesn't he just like get out doesn't he just like I can't remember considered cured I can't remember either yeah it's cool though it's, it's cool too it's very cool I liked it yeah, Good job, was, guys. This is a great one. Witchfinder is a really <laughs> solid uh, book. I really like Yeah. Again, Ben Stembeck is really shown. I think I think one of my favorites of Stembeck's work in here is actually when he goes to Mary's, that first face of him uh, in the top where he... So he we have a f- panel where he's looking at the paper with the raw blood drawing. We have him mm-hmm. looking at it. 
And then we have his face in the corner panel. I love his work on Edward's face right there in that top corner, right before he sees her dead in the bed. Yeah. I think that's just great work on. Yeah, it's great. By Ben's lines and everything. It's so good. And he just captures that. Yeah. How angry he is and remorseful, but just more so angry. (laughs) I love it. I like that he's angry because I think Hellboy gets mad, but he's not like furious. Yeah, he never gets like wrathful where he's like, I'm so mad I'm going to fucking twist your head off or something like he's sort of violent as a tool. Yeah, I'm sort of like getting vibes off of reading this and now discussing it like Edward Gray's sort of like the Harvey Dent from the the Dark Knight Nolan version where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this guy's really good. Right, but like God, he can actually he, handle himself. But yeah. he's gonna he could easily slip too. Yeah. With this rage and this anger. And I think that's I think that's sort of what Mary keeps him from doing. It's like Yeah, she like tries to temper him a little. He like half listens. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh yeah, okay. Okay, well, I'm not gonna do what you told me to do. Cause that's just my character, okay? That's me. Oh, this. heliotropic is the quality of plants to, like, follow the sun. Whoa. Like, you know how, like, a sunflower will, like, change direction? Yes. To follow the sun. That's that's the word. Cool. That I was asking. I mean, we say. should create a, a heliotropic brotherhood. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> we'll put, like, plants in jars and, like, sing to them or something. Yeah. We'll, we'll worship them. At least we have goals. That's my five-year goals. Great. Five year plans. Set go. up a nice cult. Sounds wonderful. I have some direction now. Um, any other favorite panels or anything from this last? That's it, man. The the three D one. Yeah. X ray. Right. I like um. I think Mary looks cool. I like this shot of Mary. I mean, this is morbid as shit, but I think it's just a well drawn figure. But it's the the panel where she has the bruises from hanging herself on her neck here. But I think it's like a good, like an interesting angle, like this angle from below. And um, it's like haunting and good. It's just well done. Oh, and the little cow. There's just like a lot of cool stuff in this one that, uh, yeah, really resonated. But yeah, these fucking, th- you know, x-ray drawings. They're the shit. I love them. The little like folded up guts. Yeah. And I love <laughs> that that green of the x-ray like matches yeah. with the, the this, like eerie glow. They match yeah, yeah, the runes yeah. that he was drawing. I love that that oh, color yeah. is very good. good, um, good and I, good I really, patch. I'm also before we move on. Uh, uh-huh. I really love when the bones fly at the vampire. And yeah. That reaction panel is so good. Yeah, I he's think, like, uh. I mean, overall, Ben, everything he's done with the vampire and all of these issues has just been solid work. Uh, yeah, even like the jaw. I love the jaw of this creature. It's the separation, the like space for the top teeth. Mm-hmm. To go through the bottom jaw. It's just really cool. I love it. Hell yeah. I love it too. It's good stuff. <laughs> and hey, f- listeners, we want to hear your thoughts on uh, In the Service of Angels. Uh-huh. The first major storyline, uh, full length for Sir Edward Grey, Witchfinder. Please share your thoughts on this final chapter and all of the chapters we covered or anything else we've covered prior um episodes you can share your thoughts and have them on the show by emailing us at ah crap a hellboy podcast at gmail.com yeah um and now in regards to to that uh, i was gonna before we get into our our final segment i was gonna offer up what uh one or two suggestions did you have anything 
I just had two suggestions to watch. Let me hear yours before I suggest the same four movies. <laughs> uh, great. I already suggest go read storylines with Glob from X-Men. Please do that. Because Glob yeah, is Glob's great. Cute. Um, there's a movie. These are both just are because they're weird bedlam and insane asylums. And one is real brief. One coop flew, flew over the cuckoo's nest. Sure, yeah. Great classic movie. Go classic. give it a watch. We, we rewatched that recently. It's good. It's a good movie. It's good. He um he fucks a teenager. That's like why he's in jail. I forgot about that detail. Yeah, because you're like main a character. Piece of shit. He's not a good guy. He's just yeah. he's just yeah, he's like he's like he's But at the time, I mean when you're watching the movie, he's he's a he's an everyman. It's but like, he's a yeah, he's an everyman. He's resist a, young pussy or whatever. Like, yeah, I but he's also a hero for these guys that are being like treated like complete nothing. They're, they're the yeah, bottom. yeah. It's a yeah. I'm not saying it's like he's automatically like a horrible guy. I think he like you know he wants that these other inmates to or patients or whatever to be treated as human. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but hey, it's the 70s too. He's Some, also a piece of shit. I know. They fucking got. They were a piece. Everybody of was just dating a 14 year old in this fucking it's 60s and 70s. Wild to think, but yeah. Don't Google any of your favorite musicians from the 60s or 70s. Yeah, they're they're bad boys. You're disappointed, yeah. Uh, my other one is, and I'm I'm gonna be surprised if you haven't seen this, Kate. Uh-huh. Is a horror movie that I like, which is very rare because Dave scares easy. <laughs> is a movie called Session Nine from 2001, starring David Caruso of all people. Josh Lucas is in it and Peter Mullen. And it's about guys that are like renovating uh, or cleaning out asbestos from an old mental hospital. And it shit gets, I haven't seen this. I'll watch it. It's good. It has a, one of the, my favorite deliveries of fuck you in it that will make you laugh <laughs> by David Caruso. But um, the movie itself is really creepy and good. This sounds awesome. Yeah. And I love I Peter Mullen. Watch this today. Peter Mullen's fucking awesome. So that's what I mean. Hell Session yeah. nine. It's only an hour oh. and a half. Oh, that's, I mean, every movie should be an hour and a half. So, yeah, check it out. Every movie. Every um, movie, you're right. <laughs> oh, you know what I, have you read Something is Killing the Children, this comic? I haven't, because I just haven't picked it up yet. I have not either. I just saw it recommended, and I was like, I wonder if Dave read this. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sort of waiting for, a little, yeah, I, want, I was going to wait for Are they making a movie collected. or a show or some shit? I feel like it got bought, like, up like optioned or something i feel like usually if if that's like the reason why i hear about some shows i remember when kick-ass came out and i started i was like oh this is really cool and then like the movie came out like a couple months after that and i was like oh i just fell for this marketing campaign <laughs> like big time like this is just like a you know it's just like an advertisement for this movie basically yeah that's funny i did like the comics so i like john romita jr yeah i um, like the first kick-ass that second one is yeah not my cup of tea after that i, I have like, not seen the second one well i was t- i was even speaking to the comic oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the second storyline i didn't care for much and i mean i stopped buying it after i was like i just i mean not that i even hated the movie and like obviously movies and comics are so tied in with each other at this point but i just remember like buying it a bunch and then seeing that there was a movie coming out and i was like oh i'm fully participating in this like advertise like <laughs> i just like being so aware of what was happening i, I don't know it, it just felt sticky or something oh and have you ever read meg and mog no 
it's like about a witch and her cat. I think but I've seen like, images of this. You probably She's a green, uh, you've green witch. Yeah, like a right? green witch. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, a friend of mine got it for Jessica to like read while she was getting better from her surgery, and I ended up reading it. It's depressing as fuck. It's like so depressing. Oh, no. Even like the little blurb on the back is from Daniel Klaus and he says how depressing it is. And I was like, wow, you bummed out Daniel Klaus. Like, <laughs> but it, it it was like very compelling and I wanted to read all of it. But the characters are absolute pieces of shit. Like they <laughs> fucking suck. But they're like very much like some, you know, you've probably met people like that. But you could be them. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully not. <laughs> They're like so fucking, I don't know. It's, I guess that's the thing. It's like, yeah, maybe you could have been them at some point in your life, but it, they're, yeah, just reading it, I was like, man, it's, this is so brutal. But I finished the whole thing in like two days. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, check it out or like, let me know what your thoughts are, readers. Dear, I love that. Dear listeners. That's a great, a great suggestion all around. Yeah. I love it. Great. Well, that brings us right to our final segment uh, for the episode, yeah. which is we got a, a very uh, dense and wonderful um, one email in our segment. Of course, we can't do it with all of you out there. Oh, boy. Email. email. <laughs> this one email we're going to cover today comes from Drew Campbell, who's um, definitely uh, emailed us in the past. And his email is titled, oh boy, a really long email. <laughs> we'll take it. I love it. Okay. You have an update because there are images that I'll, I will post. Yeah, let me pull this. Up. I'll post the week or the day that this goes live. But uh, we'll talk about the images he shares as well in his email. Sweet. As you're pulling that up, I'll begin. It says, hey, crappers. It's been a while since I've written in, but I've been here listening every week. <laughs> <laughs> I've been taking notes on things I want to comment on, but I just haven't made myself take the time to put it all together in, in an email. And now's the time. So get ready. <laughs> Cast your minds back, if you will, to, to February of 2021 and your discussion of the crooked man. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys loved this story so much. It's really one of the best. I feel like it's a perfect example of Mignola's original reason for starting Hellboy in the first place, which was that it would be just be a way for him to write and draw stories about monsters and folklore and things that interested him. Like you guys mentioned, it feels like a story about Appalachian folklore that Hellboy just happens to be involved in. And man, Richard Corbin. God, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It always blows my mind how much different artists can fit so well in the world originally defined by Mignola's extremely distinctive art style. Mike's art with all its sharp edges looks like it's carved out of stone and almost looks two-dimensional, whereas Corbin's art looks like it's sculpted from clay, very puffy and bulbous and very three-dimensional. And it and yet, it all feels like one world. Incredible. I love that description of, I do too. of that stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's a great way to look at it. Those two it styles. brings me back to like art class, like where you, like you used to have to give critiques of each other's work. Mm-hmm. So you really have to like learn to articulate what the fuck shit looks like. It's like really hard at first. <laughs> where you're like, I like that line and it like doesn't, you know. Yeah. But I love his description of the two art styles. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's very concise, that description. Well done. Yeah. And like really conjures a visual 
It's cool. Uh, and then he continues with this. He says, The theme of evil supernatural characters taunting Hellboy about his destiny is something of a trope in the Mignoliverse, albeit one that makes sense within the reality of the world. But when the Crooked Man does it in this story, what's interesting to me is that Hellboy doesn't know anything about that destiny yet. It doesn't really, he doesn't really learn about who he is or why he was brought to Earth until Seed of Destruction. So when the Crooked Man says he's meant for Earth-shaking things, for all Hellboy knows, he really is just trying to provoke him. And yet yeah. his reaction at this early point in his life is exactly the same as his reaction later on when he knows what he was created to be. A simple shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I because yeah, yeah, I think that's a thing he like tries to stick with. Even like even later when he learns like it's kind of true and like he's kind of destined to do this like either something horrible or something great. Yeah, his like he tries to belittle it by saying continuing to treat it like that, where it's like shut up, shut up. Yeah, you know? exactly. I think he. Yeah, I think if you're bred that way too, like he's already doesn't want to listen to these things. It's like, right. well, if they're not going to cooperate with me, I'm not going to listen to like their. He's probably used to like them scheming and all sorts of things. I think that's a great thing to point out that it's like he doesn't really change in his reaction to it. Right. <laughs> he's fun. stubborn, man. Yeah. He is stubborn. That's how he deals with it. <laughs> uh, he says, I totally agree with Alex Fernie's comments about how it's better to leave things unexplained. The mystery itself is so much more interesting than trying to force some rational explanation to every little detail. As an example, I never read Stephen King's It, but I've seen both the old miniseries and the recent movies. Without getting into a discussion of the qualities of those adaptations, it really has just always annoyed me that it showed its true form as a giant spider or whatever, and that it was a space alien or came from another dimension. To me, the concept of an evil supernatural clown that terrorizes and murders kids is much more interesting and terrifying when mm -hmm. you don't know what it is or why it exists. I think that's kind of true. I mean, if you if you spoiler for the book, it have you read the book? It you can spoil it. I have never read it. Okay, everybody skip ahead like thirty seconds or some shit. If you don't want to be spoiled, if you're me, I don't yeah. know if I'll ever read the book or not. The book is actually really good. I've like heard. it's it's good. Um, you know, with the exception of like some very well known parts about little kids uh, having sex, get, getting it on. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's like a it's like this. It's basically like the essence of evil and like this thing that consumes fear and shit and like in the book we go like that we see that and like the main character like flies through space and sees a giant turtle that's like the force of good nature throughout the universe it's like all tied in like all stephen king shit is like tied into one right. big like cocaine induced loop or whatever <laughs> um where like all the stories kind of fit together and they're just like stories about stories eventually but like yeah, you see that it's like a big space creature. It's like a big evil mass or something like that. And like, so yeah, I think, but I think like it, that's its clown form is like it manifesting itself as the scariest thing to these kids, but it can appear as whatever you're most scared of. Obviously, like if you read the, or especially if you watch the most recent movies, I think it kind of, that's yeah. how it's like conveyed. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes you don't need to see the big space turtle to enjoy the story. But I, I mean, I think too, because I think both of you are right in this instance. I think yeah. the book is is presenting itself to saying it's this thing, but it's also this cosmic. It's a larger cosmic thing, right? It's like a concept. It's like the concept of fear and evil. Yeah, and it's that there's like a, it's like enormous. Yeah. Whereas the movies have from the last two movies I saw, it's like they. Yeah, they say that, but they also don't. And so 
it leaves you very much like, wait, we're explaining something, but not fully explaining it because we don't want to go fully Stephen well, King like, on in it. the movies, especially. I think it ta- it like feels more like the thing that kid actual real kids are actually scared of, like growing up in in a world that sucks yeah. and like nobody around these kids takes them seriously or helps them or values their thoughts or opinions or anything. They're kind of like left to their own to hang out with each other in the woods. That's the only camaraderie they have. Like they feel alienated and isolated from the rest of the like, you know, like townies and adults in their world. Yeah. Which is just a very relate. That's relatable. I think that, you know, yeah, the kind of like weird, like the kind of weird feeling of a town that like a small in, in like a way that a small town makes you feel like you're a total freak. Mm-hmm. By just being like, just being like, quote, normal or whatever, you know, like that kind of feeling. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think for yeah. what, what Campbell, I think, is getting at is like sometimes whether it's it or not that sometimes some stuff is just when it gets over explained, it can it can lose its your, this what's yeah. scary about it. It's yeah. similar to like sometimes the monster's in, always scarier when it's like shrouded in dark and it's yeah. your own imagination. And if we yeah. over explain it and we're like, well, this is what it is, it's like, well, then it's no longer st- scary. I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So the unknown, man. The unknown is the scariest thing in the world, right? For sure. <laughs> and then rounding out his, his comments on the crooked man, he says, I second your recommendation of Harrow, 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 Harrow County. Oh, Harrow County. Harrow yeah. County. I love Tyler Crook's art and he did not, and he did some amazing work in BPRD that you guys will get to down the line. Oh, hell That's yeah. Cool. Great. Well, no wonder Mignola did a little blurb for that comic then. Makes total sense. Yeah. And before we leave the crooked man, here are some pictures of the skeleton crew replica of Tom Farrell's bone. Yo, this is great. <laughs> yeah, it's very This cool. is so fun. It's like the bone on the string with like BPRD tags, like evidence tags on it. I love that. And it's very, and like an archive log. Oh, that's so cool. With like little Tom Manning signature. Yeah, it's very cool. I love that. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's so cool. Thanks for those pictures. That really adds to this. I love it. And I'll share these um, unless he emails back that we shouldn't have, but I'll share these. Uh, on our feed. I bet as long as you tag him, but yeah, it might oh, be good to ask just in case. He'll get it. <laughs> oh, he's got to get tagged. Great. Well, his next um, sex section of his email is for BPRD The Warning. Not much to add on this one. The Arcudi slash Davis run of BPRD is an absolute masterpiece, and this story certainly lives up to that name. As an aside, in regard to Kevin now uh, Nowlands or Nolan, I don't know how per- correct it, to pronounce the inks on the covers, I can't remember if you guys have talked about this before, but Nalan is one who designed the Hellboy logo. So while he hasn't contributed extensively to the Hellboy comics, he has been around since the very start. I feel like we talked about it, but maybe we did it off mic and I'm just dumb. I remember us talking about it. Who could remember? I know who can remember, but you know, it's, it's nice to be reminded that he did. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like I'm hearing it for the first time, (laughs) but With him saying it here. (laughs) (laughs) And then he continues, he says, MDC brought up the War of the Worlds as a possible reference for the giant machine monsters. And following that thread, I would recommend Ian Edgington and D. Israeli's graphic novel Adaptation of the World of World, the War of the Worlds, as well as their War of the Worlds sequel, Scarlet Traces, the first series of which was actually written before their adaptation of the novel. 
The premise of Scarlet Traces is that the British were able to adapt Martian technology for their use, and so there are some incredible visuals of an early 20th century Britain with spider-legged vehicles and heat rays being used for utilitarian purposes. You should check it out. And also, Diaz Rieli, I hope I'm pronouncing that name correct, uh, does the artwork for one of the later Witchfinder stories. Ooh. I'm looking up the art for this version. It looks really cool. I mean, that looks right up my alley. It's that kind yeah, of that's that. very fun. That awesome. Wonderful suggestion. Thanks, Campbell. Uh, and then he closes this section out with one of the Skeleton Crew replicas. Oh, by the way, Skeleton Crew, I believe, is the, the company that we... Uh, they make the pins, the Hellboy pins. Yeah. They're the ones that did the bone, I cool believe. Cool shit. He yeah. said, great company. And I'll tag them as well when I post this stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the Skeleton Crew replicas, I can't remember which one, came with a set of 10 Lobster Johnson calling cards and a leather card wallet. Super cool. <laughs> awesome. I love, <laughs> I love this, dude. It. I love how clean those cards are. It's so cool. It looks perfect. It's like so, it's so nice. Like you could... <laughs> You could like cosplay Lobster Johnson and like be flinging these around. Hell yeah! Although you wouldn't want to get you wouldn't want to get rid of them. I'd make a bunch of if you ever go to cosplay. Yeah, print a stack, print a, a shit ton of them at like and just be like, Comic Con <laughs> and throw them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, put some little adhesive on the back of some. And it's just funny that when to have a pouch with his own symbol on it, just so he doesn't misplace it. Yeah, <laughs> Lobster Johnson would have that, dude. Oh, all these silly heroes that I love. The claw. <laughs> this is so great. Oh, I love it. Great. And then he, continuing on his email, his next own storyline he's going to touch on is Hellboy in the Chapel of Moloch. This story reminds me of H.P. Lovecraft's story Pickman's Model about a painter whose disturbing paintings may not be a product of his imagination. It's a quick read available online and he shares a link. So I'll share this link with our readers as well. Or yeah. readers, readers, our listeners as well. When uh, uh, when this email is on the show, so you could check this out, guys. Um, for those listening, if you want to check out this short story, Pickman's model, I'll share the link that Drew Campbell shared with us on the link tree um, on our Instagram, just so everyone knows where to find nice. us. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. I don't. I haven't read enough H.P. Lovecraft. Um, in my lifetime. And then he has another picture. He says, here are some pictures of Skeleton Crew's replica of Bishop Zerini's silver button. The one that he, that uh, Hellboy threw at him. <laughs> it's great. Another, oh my God. This is like such an ad for Skeleton Crew. I'm like about to go on their website and buy something. I know, right? Well, good. Even though I'm not in any position to be buying little stuff right now. That's the only reason like, I'm not buying it is because I just I know. Can't. Like, God. One day. One day I'll have it all, I guess. Yeah. And Beth will be like, why did you buy all this? I know, we dude. No Jess is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like I just gotta buy a little guys and little stuff. Just the little, just the little guy. <laughs> it's just like this little childish part of me that'll never die. Yeah, I yeah. want this stuff so bad. <laughs> uh, this is great though. I love all the details on the uh, on the the sign out log. I think that's such a fun detail. Even like the little like notches in the thing, it looks like a Hellboy drawing. It looks like a Mignola drawing brought to life. Yes, it looks really good. Yes, you're right. The little dings in it. And yeah. Stuff. Ugh. Oh, he really pays attention to all this the This is detail. nice. Yeah. It's a nice. <laughs> it's a nice thing that I want. I love it. All right. His next storyline he touches on is Hellboy the Wild Hunt. So, man, he, we're getting caught up with Drew Campbell, and I love it. He says, not much to add about this one. You guys know how amazing Duncan Fregredo's Hellboy work is, but seeing how much the story deals with fairy folk and such, 
I do want to recommend the book Fairies by Brian Froud and Alan Lee. I think I've heard of this before. Brian Froud is the artist whose work inspired the look of the Dark Crystal. Totally makes sense. Cool. And he did design work for that in Labyrinth. Alan Lee is most known for his Lord of the Rings illustration work and his design work for Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings slash Hobbit movies. The book describes and illustrates all kinds of different fairies and creatures from British slash Scottish folklore and mythology. I have seen this book. I don't know who I knew it growing up, but in Utah, somebody owned this book and I have looked through it. I can't remember who, but I've definitely browsed this book. The artwork is absolutely beautiful and the book was my first introduction to terms like Tutha, Tuatha de Dana and Deonine Sydney. Rough pronunciation, Donashi, Donashi, Donashi. Uh, a few years before I started reading Hellboy. Well done. You got a lot of fairy <laughs> education before you picked up Hellboy, unlike yours truly. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Yeah, awesome. Great suggestion. And I've, I've definitely browsed that book. I think, Kate, if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'm like, look, I'm Googling it as we're going. Great. And then awesome. he, he touches, next story he's going to touch on is BPRD, the Black Goddess. First off, I have good news for you. Kevin Allen has drawn some interiors for the Mignolaverse. Yes. Great. That's, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, that's great. We're going to, that's great. Cause we're going to get that. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I messed up my words there, but uh, that's You're wonderful. Fine. He drew Hellboy Buster Oakley gets his wish. We'll definitely be covering that in the near future. A couple of lobster Johnson stories. Great. And an Abe Sabin one-off story about the Agobogo. Agobogo. That's we. I think that's, we got a reference to that once. Maybe in Conqueror Worm, isn't that the story where they talk about like they go into a lake and then they, we this that's the song we looked up the like there was a song about it I think the Ogo Bogo. Mm. It's been so long ago that my brain has probably jettisoned a bunch of stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. I'm excited to see him do uh, Nalan to do uh, interiors. I think that's gonna be really yeah. Nalan's, I love I loved his covers so much. Great. A minor correction. You were referring to the hybrid animals having been on the island with the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra, but it was actually the Onias Society. Thank you for that. Correction, we definitely get a lot of these dumb things wrong. In all fairness, though. These little societies, you know. There's so many. Kind of blend together. They've you got know? similar vibes. I just want yeah. there to be the X-Men and the, the evil Brotherhood of Mutants. <laughs> That's all. And he says, though, in all fairness, though, the Onis, is that how you say it? Onisis? Onis? Onis Society. Sorry if I'm pronouncing all this incorrectly. I'm trying my best. They was a splinter group made up of the Heliopic Brotherhood members who left after after a disagreement. Okay. There we go. You know what? Let's understand. So we, were, we were both right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that to uh, understand the... A friend of the pod or whatever, you know, we've had him on before. Yes. But if uh, if we're having an argument or like discussion about something and I say something that I insist is right and it turns out that I'm wrong, I'll just say that we're, we were both right <laughs> just to make him like pull his hair out of his head. That's so funny. It's a fun little trick to do to your friends to make them pissed. Drew, you're one of our friends. We're both right. <laughs> <laughs> we were both right. But then thank you for that correction because those things I do. I feel like I should have always had a notebook next to me writing down things. 
But, uh, you know, I, I just, that would be a good habit. <laughs> that would be a good habit, but I don't have it. <laughs> I feel like we used to. We used to be pretty studious. I think maybe you were. I don't, I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to claim that for myself. <laughs> um, in regard to the forked Hyperborean, Hyperborean swords, Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus, explicitly showed the monks using them, as well as at least one monk who was a were yeti. That yeah. story also shows an earlier attempt by Mimensaw to tame fire to breed dragons and has some imagery that very much foreshadows the look of the golden dragons from the black goddess. Yeah. Yeah, we probably just dislike that too much to notice. Uh, <laughs> that storyline. But that's great. I, I'll, uh, that's a good reminder to check back on that. Because I think, I think Mignola is pretty good at like keeping shit pretty close. You know what I mean? Especially after what we just read. Like yeah. weaving things, those things together. But that's a great. Thank you. Because uh, that gives it much better purpose to reason to, re, to revisit the Iron Prometheus just for those small details. Yeah. And then he has another cool replica here. Picture. It says, here are some pictures of the skeleton crew replica of the jade frog. That I wonder if it's jade. Is it stone? It must have been because it was it was definitely carved. It looks like it. It looks great. It looks I awesome. mean like I mean like the actual like the replica. I wonder if it's you, like a piece of little piece of jade or whatever oh, they used to yeah. like to be like, you know, some jade like rock. Right. I love this sign out sheet too and like the the like BPRD artifact archive description. Jade frog used to help harness real energy. Like it's so great. Yeah. And the sign out log, I that's such a nice touch. Yeah, I love that touch. Yeah. Just gives it that such that cool history. And I like yeah. it makes you think that like even though they had to go through a bunch of like that's a very traumatic story and crazy, but they're like, look, we gotta gather things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to take the time to gather everything. It's so funny. Yeah, gather evidence. His final um thoughts are for BPRD nineteen forty seven. He says, This one's for Kate. You mentioned you'd like to see a Hellboy deck building card game. Well, you're in luck. They made one back in the mid-2000s using the Versus system. Sweet. I've never played it, but it uses art from the comics, and it looks really cool. It's not too hard to find on eBay. In fact, this inspired me to go ahead and buy a set myself. <laughs> I'm looking it up. All right. You sent Kate off. She tries to not buy stuff. But 30 bucks. Oh, that's not bad. And this is like if brand you, new wrapped. If you get it. You have to play it with me. Hmm. You have to play it with me if you get it. I will. This is cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. Awesome. Great suggestion. That's awesome. And you can hear her. She's literally on eBay as we're recording. I'm typing. <laughs> <laughs> and then he continues. On to the story. Man, I love Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. So you guys were wondering how their collaboration works and whether one does pencils and one does inks. Um, I just want to interject. I think Kevin Hines also told you that in the back it and one of the collections told us how this works. I think on like he he commented on after listening on Instagram to you, Kate, of like, hey, check the back to know how this works. Yes. Yeah. I think that happened, but I'm going to continue reading because I didn't look it up. So I'm going to let Drew Campbell educate me. Um, he says, actually, they each pencil and ink themselves. And they each do their own pages, or or sometimes their own panels within a page. Their styles are similar, but there are differences. Gabriel ba, Ba's art is much sharper with harder edges, whereas Fabio Moon's art is softer and more flowing. Mm. If you go back to the story, all the scenes that take place in the natural world 
are drawn by Ba, and all the scenes with Simon Anders after he leaves the group and goes into the vampire world are drawn by Moon. In fact, right after Anders leaves, there's a panel of him walking next to a canal, and there's a cat in the foreground. The background of that panel is drawn by Ba, and the foreground is drawn by Moon. The differences can be subtle if you're not paying attention to it, but their respective styles complement the world they're illustrating perfectly. Ba's sharper, blockier art representing the real world, and Moon's softer, lusher art representing the supernatural world. It's genius. I can't think of any other examples of similar things being done. I'm immediately probably going to reread 1947 after this knowledge. Yeah. (laughs) As we're reading, I was like, I'm going to relax for the rest of the day after recording and just read that to pay attention to those details. Yeah. Um, Because sometimes you read it for the first time, you read it even a second, you talk about it on a podcast, you miss some shit. You still (laughs) miss some shit. Yeah, it's true. But that's great. Thank you for offering up that knowledge. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's going to make my reread very cool. And then he continues, MDC mentioned Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I couldn't remember if you guys have mentioned this before, but Mignola did some design slash illustration work for the movie. I didn't realize he'd worked on the actual movie, so that's cool to know. And also drew the comic book adaptation. I know that. We've definitely talked about that, which is definitely worth picking up. I haven't picked it up yet, but I definitely am going to check it out. Um, I will have, have to look into his design work, though, for the movie. I mean, I, I could see, like, especially the beginning of Dracula, where he was in that red armor, and you know, with, like, the divots inside of it. I'm like, that feels very yeah. Mignola. Yeah, totally. Um, Now for a brief note on pronunciation. Here we go. Always my... Uh-oh. The note given to Steg- Stagner, Stank... Stegner telling him where to find Anders says, Ostrich, uh, um, Ostrich, is that where you can, which you guys were pronouncing kind of like ostrich. I tried it again and it came. The correct pronunciation is oh, more yeah. like Osterite, right? Is that how you say it? Osterite? Osterite. 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 I hope I hope we're one of us got it right. I mean, Reich. Reich, I think we're good. Familiar. Yeah. <laughs> And this is Osterreich. And and this is actually just the German word for Austria. Ah, so simple. (laughs) Thank you, Drew. (laughs) While we're talking about the German language, the name Anders is interesting to look at. As a name, it is is Scandinavian and comes from the same root as Andreas, Andreas, and Andrew. Did I say that first name right? Andreas. Andreas? Andreas. I was like thinking Andrea. Um, Andreas oh, yeah. slash Andrew, meaning manly. But in German, the word Anders means different. And Ander is a root of some other words dealing with change or difference. Ooh. In fact, in researching this to make sure I didn't didn't say anything inaccurate, I found an article that says Anders, as well as the English other, come from a turbo old root that was about the other one in an us hmm. versus them kind of sense. There's our tribe and the other tribe. I say hmm. that describes the story pretty well. I would cool. agree, especially with the yeah. vampires. And then if Anders is a change, he's going through a change. Because he those vampires, he's still in that uh, that closet in, yeah. inside of him. <laughs> uh, okay. So this next paragraph is also I'm gonna reference something that the writer of 1940 sent 40. Uh, seven told us to do 
um, he told us to tweet or not tweet. He tweeted at us saying you should Google this person's name. So I want you to get ready to Google this name that this paragraph <laughs> has in it. So um, Drew says, in regard to Ota Benga's insin- insinuation, so uh, he said to to Google Ota Benga. So before we move on with this email, he said to Google, this is what Dysart said. He said, you guys got to... Otabanga was a Matubi man, or excuse me, Mabuti man known for being featured in an exhibit at the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition in St. Louis, Missouri, as a human zoo exhibit in 1906 at the Bronx Bronx Zoo. Yeah, man, fucking human zoos, dude. America fucking sucks. Yeah. Just in 1904, 1904, that's why. Right. Yeah. Wow. Just so recent. Yeah. I've heard of like human zoos, but none of this specific guy. Yeah, I didn't uh, know about this either. Fucking nightmarish. Yeah. And he died. Gunshot. And he died so young. He died. Of- Suicide by gunshot. Cause of death. Yeah. Like that's Fuck, unfortunate. Man. Well, I guess yeah. it's like they're honoring this guy's name by me- giving him a character that had a lasting life and actually made a change. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It's a bummer, but also at least they did try to do something good with the name. Yeah. So, uh, Dysart, you sort of bummed us out for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. It's, a, it's like, you should look it up. It's like yes. elements that you should look up and should know. We should know this history. Yeah, man. We should know this history is 100% right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to that history after we're done recording so I can continue reading this email. Um, but I will wild stuff. Just sit with it for a moment. And then, uh, okay, so back to... Drew's email. He says, in regard to Otabanga's insinuation that Broom should kill Hellboy. It's easy for us as readers to say that Hellboy is good and Broom is making the right choice by raising him because the whole series of comics started off off from a point where Hellboy is already grown up and doesn't want any part of his destiny. But in context, in 1947, it really is a huge risk. It's not like there's any precedent precedent for nurture over nature in regard to raising a demon. I think it says a lot about Trevor as a person that he was so determined to give Hellboy a chance that he never seems to even consider listening to people like Otabenga when they tell him Hellboy is an enemy and should be eliminated. I, for one, am glad he had the nerve to make that choice and the heart to see it through. Yeah. Yes. Because we, yeah, in that present moment, you're, it is a risk. And it's like, you don't know what that thing's going to, what that mm-hmm. going to do. It's not one. It's not like us. At least, first at the first glance, that's why we like Broom. That's why yeah. we like Broom. Thinking about this brought up another question in my mind: Did Rasputin know he was summoning a child? Did he expect to have to raise a demon and teach him how to be the beast of the apocalypse? This seems like gr- great material for an alternate reality spinoff: a flustered, frustrated Rasputin trying to keep a mischievous little Hellboy in line. I'd love to see it. That is an awesome Something pitch. tells me he would be like a prisoner. It reminds me of like the like the animals that they keep kind of captive mm-hmm. or like experiment on or something like that. Like I feel like Hellboy would have a very sad life if he was with Rasputin. He would be like a prisoner. Yes. I think and like treated like garbage, like abused and locked up and shit like that. A hundred percent. If is true if, if he if he had gone into the Rasputin from Seat of Destruction's hands and those Nazis, 
completely <laughs> tortured to bring about the apocalypse. Yeah. You wouldn't be fucking eating pancakes. No. But yeah. there's something about that I would love to see, like, in a sort of Marvel what if. I like that spinoff. Yeah, yeah. But also, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch this too, just as a spinoff, into as regards to what he just said. I would love to see, like, a silly, like, version of Rasputin truly trying to be a, a dad to Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, it's like cartoonish, sort of Ren and Stimpy, sort of weird, <laughs> like, and it's just like all more Looney Tunes esque of sure. of Rasputin trying to be a dad to Hellboy. I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be like a one-off. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Sure. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> Great. And then he says, until next time, I love you. We love you. Thank you, Drew. Yeah, that's so... Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts on that. And the pictures, too. Those are so awesome. And making me go on skeleton crew's website now <laughs> um i'm actually gonna throw in his other email real quick because i think it sure it, it just adds to everything and we'll just um it would it feel weird not to touch on it and have it come in another episode he, he, yeah. he sent quickly almost almost right after that email an additional email saying oh titled oh boy a much shorter email <laughs> <laughs> drew campbell says hey again crappers I sent that last email before I finished the last BPRD 1947 episode. And then I got to the part where MTC was wondering if Anders was already in the vampire world when he was at the library. We've had this confirmed for us, but I was like, yeah, everybody saw this. And I, we just were fucking let it really pass us by. Yeah. And he says, that's absolutely correct. And that ties in with what I was saying about how the twins split the art duties. You can know for certain that something's wrong at the library because it's drawn by Fabio Moon. As I said before, almost as soon as Anders leaves the group, the art transitions from Ba to Moon, meaning that Anders transitions from the real world to the supernatural realm. That explains why Stegner says the librarian told him that Anders never showed up. So cool, right? Very cool. Very cool. And also Kevin Hines as well. Yeah, thank you. Us, let us know that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very cool. And it's it's funny that I just let that pass. We let that pass by. But sometimes you just miss shit when you're focused on other stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said, and then again, Drew signs off. All right, that's it. Talk to you later. <laughs> love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, see you later. Uh, okay. Thanks, Drew. I love you. <laughs> yeah, I love you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. We love you, too. Yeah, that was great. That those. Yeah. A great epic and perfectly Perfectly, like I say, epic, not in a bad way. Just I a well it. thought out, helpful, yeah, insightful email. Very insightful. And we Very. do imp- uh, do appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, we're two dummies that just want to talk about this stuff, and we got great smart listeners. We need a little guidance. Sometimes. <laughs> we need a little info. We do. We, <laughs> we do. Uh, so <laughs> thank- refuse to look up. <laughs> yeah, refuse to look up. I just want to enjoy the pages, um, <laughs> the stories. But that was great. Those are great. Thank you again, Drew. Thank you for anybody that yeah. has emailed and will you know, email in the future. And again, a reminder, we love hearing your thoughts. We love hearing corrections. <laughs> corrections to my pronunciations. Uh, we love all of that. You can eat and do so yeah. by on for this episode about what we covered this episode. You could do it on anything in the past, in the future. Just email mm-hmm. us at ahcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And then you can also follow us on Instagram at 
Akrapa Hellboy podcast, Twitter, Akrapa Hellboy. Just be aware we um, will do our darndest to reply to you on anything you comment on those platforms. But if you want your thoughts on the show, you do need to email us. But then I'm also going to ask if you could please rate and review us on whatever um, format you listen to the show. But if you go out of your way to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review that starts with the word boom, we will read your review right here on the show and give you a big old shout out and praise and love. We'll send all those good vibes your way. We call that a boom review. So please give us a boom review on Apple Podcasts to help us bring more listeners to the show. I think I got all the information out. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun uh, it was a fun wrap up to um, to our Fitch first witch finder story in the service of angels and a great segment of oh boy email. I think I just want to let everybody know we we have a probably a cup maybe 3 to 4 maybe 5 episodes left until we're going to close out on um, this season, but uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated of course week to week. But um, until next week I want to thank you once again for listening and remember we love you well babies is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.